And the epistle reading this morning comes from the eighth chapter of Romans. Maybe one of the most important chapters in the, in the wonderful book itself. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The events of the past few days have hit our congregation and our community in a hard way. We have all been deeply affected. This is a great loss for Carl and Elizabeth and their families. It is also a loss for our congregation. Everyone is suffering. And we continue each week almost to announce the loss of other people that we know and love in our community. Often we feel like we are the psalmist from Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, how long? Perhaps the most faithful response has been those of you who I have seen shake your head and with tears in your eyes say, there are no words. One of you put it this way, there are no words to express how I'm feeling. And it is imagination of mine that this tragedy this week brings to your mind a loss that you have experienced, whether that loss came recently or many years ago. And so I would like to take a few minutes this morning to provide a framework that has been very helpful for many, many people in dealing with times of loss. In particular, I think this framework will help us navigate despair, and hope. It's based on the work that one of my professors, Andrew Lester, did in a book called Hope and Pastoral Counseling. And what he describes in the book is what we all know, that we spend most of our time as humans telling stories. We are narrative people. And what keeps us moving is that we are constantly creating what my professor called future stories. And what he meant by that is that you look into the future and you imagine how life is going to be. And we base this imagination, this future story, on what we've known about our life in the past, and we also base it on hopes that we have how our future might be different than the past. You might say, I was raised this way. I want my children to be raised this way. And so you create a future story around that. Our primary orientation is to people to create future stories that are stories of hope. Hope is essential to what it means to be human. We all want to look out into the future and see something 
and we see and we create stories around how we imagine that is going to be. Hope looks into the future and says, it gets better. Hopeful future stories are healthy future stories. But also as humans, we look into the future and we can easily create stories of despair. These are dysfunctional stories because they look into the future and we say, it's always gonna be the way it is now. I'm trapped, I have no choices. Or another way to create a dysfunctional future story is a story that's based on what you might call a pipe dream. Dreams that are hopes that are not grounded in reality, what is possible. Someday I will play first base for the Cubs. That is not a realistic, healthy future story for me. And another way that we create distorted future stories is that we look into the future and we say this, it was better back then. There's no way that the future has any promise. There is no hope. We're doomed. That is a dysfunctional future story. So as people of faith, you know that we are called to be a people of hope. In fact, in Paul in another one of his writings says that there are basically three core values of Christian, Christian belief, which is faith, hope, and love. And of course, the greatest of these is love. But my professor, Andy Lester, said, I wonder about that, the power of hope. Could it be that hope is, in fact, the greatest of the three? One person much smarter than me said it this way, hope is for the soul what breathing is for the living organism. Where hope is lacking, the soul dries up and withers. Hope is that important to keep us alive. And of course, as Christians, we look at the primary future story that we know undergirds all of our true hope. And of course, this is the story that we tell each and every Sunday. It's God's story. Because you know God has a story too. And this is a primary future story that is a story about liberation and freedom and redemption and reconciliation and yes, of course, hope. You might even say it this way, that one definition of faith might be to say, how closely does your future story of hope line up to God's future story? How close are you? And I think if you know the saints in your life who have deeply affected you, you will look at them and say, those were people whose stories were so close to God's story. And then you also know that we have people in our lives whose stories don't line up very closely with God's story. And we can see that those people live stories that are less than healthy, that can be despairing. 
So this whole thing about future story and looking out into the future and creating what that future might be, it applies to all aspects of life. Let me give you some examples. Listen to politicians. Are they selling a future with hope or a future with despair? Listen to preachers on the radio or even evaluate what you think I say. Are they presenting the gospel of hope like Jesus did or are they presenting a gospel of despair? Listen to the stories that we tell each other here in church. Are we people of hopeful expectation about what the future is going to be for us? and what God may bring for us here in this place? Or are we creating stories of despair by living in the past? And of course, closer to your own personal experience, listen to your own mind. Listen to your own conversations. Are you telling stories of hope or of despair as you look into your future? Now back to our situation today. And pain and suffering occur when a future story of hope has been taken away from you. There's lots of ways that that future story of hope can fall apart. A relationship that you had fell apart. A doctor gave you a diagnosis that changed your future. Someone died. A job was lost. The reason why these losses are so painful for us is that they take away a future story that we had created. And now you can see, of course, why the loss of a child is particularly devastating. You say it this way, and you're completely correct. He had his whole life in front of him. That's just another way of saying that his future story was so big and there were so many markers that we looked forward to and now none of those will happen in the way that we had imagined. All of that has been taken away and what remains is a, is a hole. In fact, I don't think Al would mind me saying he described it this way on Wednesday afternoon by saying a black hole has opened up a hole that will never be filled. Future story taken away. We are lost, we are left with pain and suffering. So how do we, as a caring congregation, proceed? This is not another funeral. We took care of that yesterday. And the ritual was important and I think it accomplished what needed to happen. And what I found myself saying to you as we left this place, I looked in your eyes and I said, thank you for being part of a loving congregation that cares for each other. And where we are today then is that we find ourselves in a position of realizing that something has happened but there is also a place where we have to stop and realize there's not much we can do about it. 
And so there are limits to how we can maneuver in this situation. There is a space between knowing what has happened and there is a space between knowing what we can do about it. There is nothing that you can do, there is nothing that you can say that this is a space that we have to hold sacred. We cannot go into that. The Bible says fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And that's the space that we have to honor. This space for Carl and Elizabeth and their family can only be filled by the creation of a new future story. And that will take much, much time and patience and courage and faith. This space right here between what has happened and what we can do about it, this space in this space, there is only one faithful response. There are no words. The book of Romans described the pain as a sigh too deep for words. This is a space where the sigh, the moan, the groan, the cry, this is the space where we get sick to our stomachs. This is the space where we feel that sharp pain in our chest. This is the space where our heads ache with that dull ache. But there are no words to fill that space. This is the space, however. And the good news is this, that this space between what has happened and what we can do about it, guess what? That's where God is working. It says it this way in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will. So we do have good news. There is comfort. The Spirit is working in us, working in that sacred space of pain and loss. And even there, it says that the Spirit is working on our behalf to bring out the will of God. There is good news. The space in between where words don't work is sometimes called liminal space. It is a space where that future story has been taken away and yet no future story has been created to replace it. The problem, as we all know, is that we are extremely uncomfortable with liminal space. And what we normally try to do is to fill this space with words, even though we have established very clearly that this is a space where no words are fitting. There is only that sigh that is too deep for words. And this space, when we try to fill it with words, is when we generally get into trouble, where we stick our foot in our mouth because we are rushing in where angels fear to tread. What you need to know is that there is no reason to feel compelled to explain the space. It just is. It exists. It is there, it hurts, 
It's painful. We have to acknowledge it, but we can't fix it. Offering the how or the why is not going to help. Suffering is not a problem to be fixed. It is a situation to be embraced with love. And so there are many things that we do not need to say. In the book, Don't Sing Songs to a Heavy Heart, there is a chapter called Words That Hurt, Not Heal. The deacons have studied this for two years, and it has been extremely helpful. I recommend it to you. Here's the topics, the words that hurt and don't heal. The words where we try to rush into that space where we need to stay back. I know how you feel. It's for the best. Keep a stiff upper lip. At least, and just fill in the blank, well, at least it doesn't work. You should, you shouldn't. Any sentence that we have in our brains that says we should or we shouldn't needs to be carefully examined. More words that hurt and not heal. God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. Or words that came not from the Bible, but from Benjamin Franklin, Lord helps those who help themselves. More words that hurt, it's God's will. And other words that try to gloss over. Simply put, we, as I said yesterday, we don't have to explain this. A good rule of thumb is that if you don't know what to say to someone in pain, don't say anything at all. People won't remember what you said unless you say something stupid or hurtful. What they need to remember is that you were there, that you sighed with them that sigh that is too deep for words. Remember, we're talking about presence. God's presence. And so we meet that with our presence, not with our words. And so when you attend a funeral like you did yesterday, you are being a helpful presence. The power of this sanctuary filled with love and support will carry and sustain Carl and Elizabeth well into the coming weeks. When you serve a meal to the family afterwards, in the parlor, your actions mean more than any words that you could say. When you write a note and mail it and it says, I care for you and I hold you in prayer, you are being a presence that sustains a person as they stand on the precipice between hope and despair. We know, and we say it all the time, that God is everywhere. So God is presence. God is even here right now. And so you can be most God-like when you can learn to sit with pain and not have to fix the pain.
So I would invite us to a time of silent prayer where we acknowledge the pain, where we sit together and listen for a few minutes to that sigh that is too deep for words. And we'll have some words projected on the screen for your prayerful reflection.